Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you you bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Gander, Lincoln Riley's non-denial of interest in the LSU job, and one line should unmuddy the water for you. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Wednesday. Hope everybody's having a glorious existence wherever it is you are in the giant sphere of the Chuck Oliver Show. Ocala, Lexington, Baton Rouge, just draw a giant circle. I can't scatter chicken feet on that map without hitting somewhere that you could tune into the Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 55 sticks, and today... We're in that footprint. We are live from the book, the all-new sports book at Harris Cherokee Casino and Resort. Harris Cherokee in Cherokee, North Carolina. We broadcast here all season. We do it. Y'all know that. Uh, and then also the property about an hour away, Harris Valley River in Murphy, North Carolina. It's just a lot of fun to be here again. Live sports wagering, collegiate and pro at the book, Harris and North Carolina. I said, Gander, Lincoln Riley's non-denial of interest in the LSU job. It was not a denial. It was a non-denial of interest. Didn't commit to anything either way. And I think one line should unmuddy the water for most of us. Now, you can read a thousand different places the accounting of Lincoln Riley's comments. 
when the media asked him, yo, Lincoln, uh, LSU's open. You're being talked about. What do you think? From the ESPN story, and this is Adam Rittenberg, who we had on, quality writer, and so I knew he'd do a good job here. About halfway down the story, when we get past his exact words, about halfway down the story, I see Riley has never coached in the SEC. Yeah, well, he's about to. And if that's going to be the case anyway, better to be head coach at LSU than Oklahoma. Now, Lincoln Riley, again, didn't deny. In fact, you won't find that anywhere. Lincoln Riley denied interest in LSU. He downplayed interest. He softened interest. He did a lot of things. He was actually kind of a boxer in the corner, duck, dart, slip the punch, lean back, work the ropes. He was asked about his interest in the LSU job. All he talked about was how much he loves Oklahoma. Now, this is the question. Have you or any of your representatives had any contact with LSU regarding the open head coaching job? I will read Lincoln Riley's words. He was asked, have you or your rep, attorney, agent, have you or your rep talked to LSU, had any contact? It could be a yes-no question. It should involve something to do with LSU. Instead, the answer, quote, I coach at the University of Oklahoma. That was not new information to me, but but Lincoln decided to lead with it. You know how I feel about this place and this program. Uh, yeah, sure, you do like it, and you do, or you are committed, and you do want to win. But that that's true. But as Will Muschamp said, we is whoever writes the check. All right, back to his words. We've all been down this road many times before. That's the salesman drawing you in. Look, we all feel this way, don't we? That's the politician. Better schools, lower crime. You guys know where I stand, and that hasn't changed. He didn't say anything about LSU anywhere in there. The question was about interest in LSU. Do you realize it could have this question could have been asked to Mac Brown at North Carolina? Do you understand that if I'm allowed to change one word, this could be me asking Mac Brown this past summer about when he plans to retire and move to the beach. I coach at the University of I'll take out Oklahoma, but Coach Brown, you're old. When are you going to retire and move to the beach? Quote, I coach at the University of North Carolina. You know how I feel about this place and this program. We've all been down this road many times before. You guys know where I stand, and that hasn't changed. If I can swap out a question for the 38-year-old Lincoln Riley to the, I don't know, how old is Mac? I think like 67 maybe. That's a guess. He may be old. I have no idea. Don't care. It's like three decades older. He already was retired and at the beach. He's 70. All right? Mac already was retired and at the beach. It would be a reasonable question. If I can swap out the answer for Mac Brown and Lincoln Riley, you know what that's called? It's called a non-denial. 
Back to the article. Riley has never coached in the SEC. Mm-hmm. That's about to change. Started his coaching career at Texas Tech, East Carolina. Oh, okay. Rest of the background. Why should it be at LSU? If it's going to happen anyway, and, and it's going to, why should it be LSU, Chuck? Well, it's a better job. And if the if Oklahoma is staying somewhere other than the SEC, good for you. You know what Jimbo Fisher had in Tallahassee? An easier path to an undefeated season in a national championship than he does in the SEC. An easier path. Why? Because it's that conference, not this conference. The Big 12? It literally is about, if you're Oklahoma in the Big 12, every season in a very broad sense, you start August camp, it is about you. If you show up and you're Oklahoma, you're in the playoffs because you're going to be 13-0 because nobody in that conference is anywhere close to you as far as overall program strength. Join the SEC, guess what? Mm, you're good. You're really good. You're in the choir, brother. LSU, that's a little different. Recruiting? LSU has, excuse me, Louisiana has three five-star recruits just this season and another 12 four-stars. The most recent five-star in Oklahoma, entire state, Daxton Hill, four classes ago. Five-star safety in the 2019 class, Iowa, Michigan. In-state, not a true even nuisance in Louisiana. Oklahoma, there is a motivated, full-octane, power five program in Stillwater that can be an occasional burr in recruiting and once ever so distantly often on the field. Lincoln Riley's going to be coaching in the SEC regardless, so it may as well be at LSU versus Oklahoma. There's a lot of reasons for that to happen. And Lincoln Riley didn't address any of them in his non-denial of an answer. We're going to break. Come back next. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. We haven't had back-to-back senior classes leave Clemson undefeated since 1940-1941. And that's one of those things you go, they just go, wow. Like, I mean, Robbie Caldwell wasn't, wasn't alive in, in 1940, 1941. All right? It's a long time. I mean, and you know why it's a long time? Because it's hard to win. Davos winning. Clemson head coach talking about the overall run that Clemson has been on. And he's right about that. Entering this season. Uh, If you go back the past six years ahead of this season, a total of seven losses. Not in conference. Seven losses overall. One undefeated 15-0 season with a freshman quarterback. Uh, One 15-0 undefeated season. A couple of seasons where they lost two, but boom, that was it. And then 7-3 so far this season. Do you know what kind of outlier? I can sum up the degree that 2021 is an outlier for Clemson in a sentence that you may need to to find a paper bag to breathe into after. 
Clemson needs a win this Saturday to get the tiebreaker over Wake Forest in football. Just let that ping pong around your gray matter for a second. Clemson really needs a dub on Saturday so they can get the tiebreaker over Wake Forest. And this isn't, I don't, uh, tennis or swimming and diving or somehow track. I don't know. Whatever it is. That, that, that's what they're after. So Dabo is correct. They have been on a heck of a run. Um, and it's still possible to win the conference championship this year. Now, when I say they have lost over the previous six seasons, they've lost seven games overall. Only three of them are conference games. They've already lost two of those this year. And Wake is undefeated, and so a win over Wake on Saturday, and then Wake, I uh, believe they wrap up with BC. In fact, I'm like 99% sure that's what it is. And so they need Wake to come back to Clemson. Clemson finish its ACC schedule with a dub over the Deacons, and then the in-state thing with South Carolina, that's not conference. And so what you could be looking at Seven straight conference championships. I I got nothing for you on that front, man. I know that when Florida State joined the ACC, Dan, check this, uh, they started real. In fact, they didn't even lose a conference game for – they almost lost a Saturday night in 92. Gosh, was that 92? They were at Georgia Tech. Tech had a lead, and then Charlie Ward started doing Charlie Ward things. Um but they didn't lose a conference game, I think, for maybe four seasons. Um, then Virginia got them, I believe. Um, then NC State got them and Jamie Barnett and all that. So, But that was as impressive a run as you're going to get until now. And so is Clemson a playoff team? No, 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 no. And, and let's be honest. You always want a chance to compete at sports you don't know. So if I'm Dabo, if I'm connected to the – if I'm D-Rad and I get a call from anybody with the playoff committee – Hey, Dan, we're looking for some mitigating circuit. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all are back in the discussion, huh? That would, that, They want it. That's not the goal, and they don't want it. Clemson does not want to play Ohio State. Clemson does not want to play Georgia again. They, that, you don't want that. But they would like to be conference champions again. Seven straight. That's, they're not going to be a playoff team, which means they can't win a national championship. Well, there are other years they haven't won the national championship as well that they continue to be dominant, at least in their conference. And if this is just a one-year, like not even a pothole, just like a lane closure, you know, kind of just slows you down, if that's what it is, bless Dabo. I think that at some point the vacuum, the the cumulative, even if it's not any concentrated year, but the cumulative season, 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 season of players leaving early and coaching staff turnover, I think that even at Clemson that's an element here. Also, you know, Dabo is the Dabo is the one guy at the game who refuses to stand on first and ten. Like, he's looking around going, you know, if everybody would just sit down, Dabo does not take transfers. Dabo does not go shopping in the portal. And his way, everything he says, he's right. 
if I'm a a true freshman linebacker from Irmo and I show up on scholarship at Clemson, well, we're Clemson and you're a freshman, so you're probably not going to play much, but we're going to throw you some bones. And when we play South Carolina State and Charleston Southern, et cetera, you're going to get to play some special teams and maybe even on defense, but only four games and not really anything important. But you're going to be on the field some, but you redshirt. Then the next year, you know, still don't play much. And then your third year, you're like, all right, I played a little bit more, and now I've got two years of eligibility left, and I put in my time, and I know the defense. Except, Wait a minute, there's a transfer from Texas Tech, and he's got my job? That's real, folks. That's real. That stinks. And that lessens the buy-in from the day the kids show up. So Dabo is correct. The problem is everybody else has decided to stand up on first. And if you all sit down, we could all see. They still can win the conference championship, though. Finish 6-2 and two in the conference. Drop a conference loss on Wake Forest, which the North Carolina game was not. Genius. But drop a conference loss on them, and then they add another one at BC, and then, boom, Clemson's playing for a conference championship, and, and, and they can get that done. Dan, how are you? Uh, they didn't lose a conference game, FSU, that is, until 1995. Early in November 1995, they lost by five points on the road to Virginia. So yeah, I think that was a Thursday night game. It was I just think an you're amazing right. thing. So if that would have been it. like 90, maybe 92, 3, 4, that would have been 16, like 25, 26, 27, 28 straight ACC games. So, 20, 24 um, and 0, and then one loss that year. You want to know the first time they lost more than one game in an ACC play? Was almost was 10 years later. Uh, 2001. Oh, 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 wow. Wow, wow, six, wow, wow. Six, six and two, eight and four that season. All right, so, I'm yeah. going to drill down a little bit, and this is going to be nerdy, but they got off schedule with their quarterbacks. What they had always done, and this is obviously way before Portal, is you would have a big four-star, Brad Johnson or Casey Weldon or whomever, Danny McManus back in the day, Chip Ferguson, show up, look around, and go, wow, there's a lot of talent here. I'm either going to redshirt or not play at all, or Dan, he would have two years on the shelf, and then it would be his turn, and he would have two years to play, and it was always on schedule. They had to play Chris Ricks as a freshman. It threw off every it, – it led to the, the the entire program with Bowden going down. It was because they got off schedule at quarterback. Yeah, and you know what? I think that the reason why I played the Dabo cut for us today was a, a method to the madness. Chuck, I think as I get older, I truly find out – God, it's hard to win. And it's one of those things that I think that the fan base mindset should always be present and really just the present because everything that's happened in the past is great and it is something that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in the future because I think as we've seen, the drop-off from greatness in college football and really any sport, but especially college football, is a car crash. It is off a cliff because once it happens, you're looking around saying, oh my gosh, like you still have great players. You still have great facilities. You have all these things. You're a name brand coach. Why is this happening? There's a reason why every single year I want people to pay attention to what Nick Saban says when he's asked a similar question at SEC Media Days about, hey, last year's team was great. He immediately pivots. This year's team is what it matters about because that's exactly what it is. Every single year, you have to be able to be a mad scientist and find the right way to tap into these guys. Find the right way to reach your coaches and find a way to make sure that all these different personalities come together and make greatness. Folks, if you don't appreciate it, that's on you. You stock in the pond. That's it. 
stocking the shelves, putting thing, getting everything back where it's supposed to be, uh, recruiting wise. That's that's the only thing that matters in college football, and that's what Kirby and Saban and everybody else who wins knows. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show all week all year it's all college football Chuck Oliver Show. We are live. Harris Cherokee, Cherokee, North Carolina at the book. Collegiate and pro sports wagering. All you want at the window, the kiosk, etc. If it's a Wednesday, bottom of hour one, you know what that is. Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com, one of two places that I will pay and get a membership. Uh, there's so much, uh, you know, plenty of good enough free information out there but when you need to drill down and you want to see something and know that it's accurate and real and researched uh and not just kind of spin the wheel and it landed there um i told you landryfootball.com is about the best you're going to find chris landry how you doing today man chuck doing good how are you i'm good uh tell everybody if they go to the site right now what they may have been experiencing this football season what they say well there. yeah you can get all the podcasts all the video casts all the 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 game for example we're gonna do uh, on landry football the landry football podcast today get everybody updated as we've got more and more coaching searches already underway we're gonna get everybody up to date on that so you get all of that information uh up to date and kind of using a lot of the contacts and my involvements in coaching searches to to get you up to date on that all the film room breakdowns of all the games obviously we're headed down the last two weeks of the regular season the film breakdowns of this week's games we already have the breakdowns from the past week's games uh the notebooks uh that we give you the inside information on of what's going on getting ready for this week's game uh everything we're gonna have the draft stuff i mean everything recruiting all of it, one-stop shopping footballs like having your own scouting department, coaching department for less than a magazine subscription. So get all of it there at LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of the football season sale. Chris, let's uh, first of all, before we talk on field and everything else, um, I want to talk Dan Mullen, UF, Gainesville, the environment there. He's already made a couple of changes by the script, the O-line coach, the D.C., etc. Um, I don't think Dan's going to get fired right now. I don't think. I don't know. But I don't think. Um, tell me how toxic it is right now, though. Am I underselling this? No, it's, it's really bad. And, and here's the thing about it is when you look at it and you think of it on the surface, you think, well, we pretty much know it's bad. So it's, there's not more we can know and pretty much the cast, the, the dice cast for this season. And so it really doesn't matter what happens down the stretch. Well, it does, and and here's why. I think what's going on right now is we know things are bad, and I think that the firing of Todd Granham at this stage is probably not what you want to do with any coach. It is the byproduct of the college football calendar, which is dumb, by the way. But so basically what that means is – You've got to address to recruits. Is Todd Granham going to be the coach, uh, defense coordinator? Well, no, he's not. Okay, well, you can't do that because you can't let it leak out that way. That's bad. You can't say um, we're going to look at it at the end of the year because that's kind of 
all right, we know what that means. And you can't say, uh, yes, he's going to be there. And two weeks later, fire him because then you, you... so the, the entire calendar of the early signing day, it's not just yep. about securing the class, but that has created a lot of negativity. The performance last week was a bad look. Missouri, Florida State are games that they can't play poorly and pull a South Carolina. If they do, it's the negativity and the culture's going to get even worse. I think there is an exit strategy for for both sides if they choose to take it, but it's going to it's going to require a lot of hoops to jump through. And it is basically obviously it starts with the money, right? What can we do to make this comfortable for either side to move away and is there a soft landing spot as say a offensive coordinator job in the NFL that saves face so that he can from an ego standpoint say, "Look, I I it's better I move on in that way he doesn't have to deal with what he's going to have to deal with this offseason and next football season if he doesn't have success so that's what's being looked at but the other part of it is that's a lot to get very cumbersome and I think there's going to have to be a lot of changes some of which he's going to be uncomfortable some of which is going to bruise his ego even further but it's something he's going to have to do to continue to be the head coach and so I, if I had to guess, I mean, it's a guess because what I've mentioned, it's going to be complex and require some hoops to jump through. So, yeah, I would think that he's going to be back with substantive changes, but he knows what's facing him, not just this offseason, but next year. So let's just keep that in mind. Let's watch how the season ends. We watch how the the um, how it's it's it, it comes across. And I think everything's on the table. I'll just say that. I've been told everything is on the table, including obviously coming back, which is, I think, the most likely possibility. But people that think it's 100%, he's 100% coming back, I can tell you that it's not. And I think that's from both sides. There's a way to make this work. Uh, There's a way to make this work by parting ways. And we're just going to have to see. Well, LSU... And I'm asking about Lincoln Riley. Um, uh-huh. If there there is a way that more teams continue to eliminate themselves even more than the Sooners did, uh, is there a scenario where LSU was like Georgia five years back where they say, all right, well, we're hiring this guy from another program. I guess we'll wait until the middle of January. Lincoln's agent, Bob Lamont's trying to get him more money at Oklahoma. And it's really, it's really about that. It's, if he can get more money and more resources, which he's got plenty of them at Oklahoma, don't get me wrong, but there's always room for more, right? As they go into the SEC, that's what he's looking for. That's the angle here. Now, uh, what what's the number? People just assume that, and I know it's understandable to assume this, that, look, the numbers are so great that it doesn't matter. They'll pay whatever. Well, no, there's a stopping point for everybody. I think Oklahoma is going to match that or are going to make if they're going to come up, they're going to make some adjustments to his deal and his staff and things that um, that's probably going to, that's what he's looking for. If they don't, then, and if LSU is willing to offer it and they are, then I think there's a story there. I think so, that there's, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. So, so this, this would have to involve, potentially for lack of a better way this would have to involve a bit of a fumble from oklahoma for it to happen yes in in a fumble or just an out and out look 
we all have our stopping point and that's it okay and so you know people just think well you're Oklahoma you're not going to lose somebody I don't think they will but if it's really ridiculous amount of money which if it becomes a case of we're going to outspend you like at the church auction foolishly then I do think there's a little bit more of we can move on uh from Oklahoma's side, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that Scott Woodard's going to be outbid in that regard because that's what he is. He's more yeah. of a flashy type guy. But that's what I think. I think he stays. Um, but that's what it's all about. That's why it's he's not denying it, but saying I love Oklahoma. It's a different type. We've talked about Jimbo. I said Jimbo could have had this job you know, anytime he wanted it, that wasn't the case. He's clearly come out due to recruiting, made his statement. Lincoln hasn't gone that far. And the reason is Jimbo has got his new deal. That's give Ross Bjork credit for that. Uh, What he's looking for at Lincoln is more years and more money and more things tied to the staff. I think his agent, Bob Lamont's going to get it. And I think that's where he's going to, um, that's kind of where that's going to end. We will take a break, come back, jump on field for this weekend, the rest of the regular season, beyond. That's next with Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show continuing on a Wednesday live from Harris Cherokee, Cherokee, North Carolina, talking college football with Chris Landry. LandryFootball.com is the website you want to go to. Um, let's go ahead and jump on the field, Chris. Um, Georgia and Alabama, you know, it's your matchup in a couple of weeks. And I saw – we don't talk gambling, and I'm, I'm, I know that it's not a prediction of the game. Um, I saw a perspective line, projected line, three and 60 and a half as a total. Uh, it surprised me a little bit. Um, talk, talk Alabama's offense's potential to score versus Georgia. Uh, it would be more than anybody they played to that point, but, but what, what do you think they're really capable of? Well, it just comes down to protection and how they're going to be able to protect, how they're going to be able to open up some run creases, how they're going to be able to protect for Bryce Young. Uh, They're going to be willing to move the pocket. I mean, it really comes down to that because they have played lesser defensive fronts that have gotten after them. Now, a lot of them has been blitz pressure. Um, You know, base pressure is what Georgia can do, but they'll bring a lot of blitz looks. And I think that when you look at, for example, what LSU did based upon studying what A&M did to Alabama, then I think you're going to see Georgia bring a lot of pressure, and I think that's going to be tough. So it really comes into comes down to what can Alabama do protection-wise to get things going. So, you know, everybody talks about, well, if you can get to the Georgia secondary, there's some place to be made, and there will be, but can you get to it enough to – make enough plays and then defensively can you hold up long enough if you can't sustain the ball on offense can you hold up yep. against Georgia's running game so I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Alabama the best Alabama the best Alabama whatever you know that is and I think we can look at a couple of games during the year but probably the best Alabama times two you know playing their better game better game than they've played all year long 
uh, would certainly give them the best chance. And I do think that Georgia in the moment, if you can get Georgia playing from behind where they can't run their offense through the run game, that's what you need to do. And that's where I think they can be vulnerable. But can you do that? No one has done that. I don't know that even Alabama can do that. But that's what needs to happen. And this is the state, in my mind, for Alabama's. And this is true, this is true about football. Especially if your offense is based around throwing the ball, if you don't protect your quarterback, every opponent might be in the game. Um, and this Saturday, I'm asking you about an SEC title game. Alabama could lose to Arkansas. They could lose to Auburn. I don't think they will. But when you don't protect and you throw it, and that's really your offensive success is dropping a redshirt freshman into the pocket, um, everybody might be in the game on a particular Saturday. Yeah, because you can drop the ball. Look at Mississippi State-Auburn last week. Two games in one. What's the difference? Mississippi State dropped the ball. Well, they dropped the ball in the first half. Auburn just absolutely torches them in the first half. They start catching the ball. Completely different second half. Two games in one. So you're correct. You don't even need – and that's why, you know, for example, not to take this in a different direction, but that's why a team that always throws it like Leach's teams – they are good for an upset. They're good for being upset. It can go either way, and you saw both in one against Auburn. Absolutely true. If you're a passing team, the issue with that is there are more variables to making big plays and explosive plays and getting out to a lead, uh, but then there are more plays in which you can minimize your ability to win it because you're putting the ball on the ground, you have a couple of drops, you have, you have a couple of mishaps in protection, negative plays. Boom. So in this type of game for Georgia over the long haul, clearly have been more consistent, clearly have been better. Why? They are dominant at the line of scrimmage. They don't have to rely on anything other than their dominant defense in the run game relative to the opponents that they played in a one game scenario. The best of Alabama, the best of Ohio State, the best of an explosive offense, if they're hitting it. Then you make Georgia play in the fast-paced type of game, a full-court type of game, an up-and-down type of game. That's not what they do well. Well, can you do that? Can you force that? No one has been able to do it. Don't know if anybody will, but if anybody can, then it will be interesting. And then you're, face, you're forcing Georgia to play a little bit left-handed and having to do things that heretofore they've not been asked or needed to do. Uh, this pains me a little bit, but it's realistic. Um, you know, Auburn could beat could beat Alabama. They could. Um, you know, the list. It's more like you know Thanksgiving, not grilled cheese. But um, but it could happen. It could. It just would involve a lot of stuff. Um, I think that Auburn season, how the fans, how everybody feels about it, gets determined this Saturday. And Auburn could lose in Columbia. They could. I can't figure out South Carolina, and I don't even want to try to right now. Uh, but Auburn, the difference between six and six, and you, hey, we got seven wins and a little bit of a springboard. And you, the games you lost were for the most part predictable. And there's some. I think their entire season is determined Saturday night. You know, it's not an overstatement, at least in terms of how the fans see it. You're right. I mean, I think that last week was a very tough loss, and you've not got to be able to protect that lead and get off the field and win that one. You can't lose this week. South Carolina's bad. And if you lose this game, that means you played worse, and you've got a lot of problems. Well, and I do think without the quarterback – it, 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 and there may be more vulnerable as yep. you're suggesting than people might think, but that's still a game. 
if you can't beat South Carolina, that is a bad team that doesn't have much going for it at all. If you're Auburn and you lose this game, it is not like, not quite like what Florida, you know, went through losing because it's first year for Brian and, and Auburn's not maybe what the expectation level was with Florida, but it would be a mini version of that if it makes sense. I think that would be a, maybe not devastating. I think it would be a bad look and a bad loss if they lose this game. And it almost kind of makes you wonder, man, where are we? How far do we need to go? I think it brings all those conversations in as opposed to if you win it, and as you, you're right, I don't think the expectations of beating Alabama are nearly as good without Bo Nix making play. I, I just think it's it's a different look. I agree with you. This is a big game, bigger game than any of us would have thought, say, a week ago due to the loss of the second half and how they played and the loss of the quarterback in that game. All right, last thing, and I, this is just personal, not even curiosity. It's aggravation. Um, Jeff Collins told me that I don't know, I don't understand football. Um, because did you see his comments? He said, "If you're watching this Georgia Tech team and you don't see the improvement, then you don't know what you're watching." I was like, "Okay, well then, then I will ask Chris Landry about this then because they won as me. They're not beating Notre Dame or Georgia, and I, it's not even mm-hmm. going to be competitive. Brian Kelly, right. better, and I'm I'm serious. Brian Kelly and Kirby better be in a good mood, or it could be as ugly as they choose." He's going to wind up going three and nine this year. They won as many games last year, playing fewer games with a deadly virus flowing around. Um, you tell me what you see at Georgia Tech because I don't know football. <laughs> well, you know there there are points and things that when you put on the film, you see that they do some things better at times. The problem is the lack of consistency in doing them. So yeah, there are times they're able to run the football fairly well for stretches in games. So if you want to parse words and, and and pull out, you know, tape, and we can make a tape that says, look, this is better than it has been. But overall consistency, it hasn't been. I've been a big defender and a big supporter of the hire. And the fact that it was going to be a big time hurdle and adjustment. And um, I'm not seeing the improvement overall that I thought. So I would say that, yeah, there's snippets of improvement. There's not a lot of it that I could sit there and say they're ready to 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 flip the the switch and turn the corner next year. Um, I, I think there's some foundational pieces there, but I thought it would result in better performances this year and their performances this year at times that looked really bad. In fact, I could take snips that they've looked a little bit better, but I can take more snippets where I can show that they've regressed, which that's what you don't want to see at this point, and that's what I'm seeing. Okay, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, turn Jeff Collins into a pinata. I have no interest in that because I thought it was a good hire and supported it publicly as well. Um, he keeps talking about talent improvement recruiting, and that's great, and I mean that, and he talks about culture. Um, I've talked yesterday. I was like, if you're not David Cutcliffe and you're a power five head coach and you talk talent, you know, and culture, you don't know what the job is. Your job is to win games at, if you're at a power five school, your job is to win games, not improve the culture or say, look at my recruiting rankings. Am I being too bottom line there? I think it's a tougher job than just anybody can go in and do it. I think it's, first of all, I think, the recruiting, in my opinion, is 
not as good as I thought it would be, and it hasn't been bad. I thought they would be able to shake the trees loose into the Atlanta area and get more of what I would call the upper tier. Um, well, I don't use the three star or none of us do in football, but to, for the analogy, the high level three stars. I thought they'd be able to get more of those. What they are recruiting is they're getting the SEC leftovers and the upper ACC leftovers, and that's not good enough. Uh, They're not getting enough of them. They're getting some of them. They're not getting enough. And so that's part of the issue. I think it is tough to recruit there. I think it is a tougher job than than others. But to your point, it's um, it's not Duke. I think he got better options there. My issue is three, seven, two, and six, you know, is not where you need to be in a coastal that is so easy for the taking. So Virginia Tech's not getting it done. They're moving on. We know it's been a bad year for North Carolina. Miami is underachieved. Uh, Virginia is an example that would kind of fly into the face of Jeff and say, whoa, they're not that talented, and quite frankly, they're not all that good. But look at what they're able to get out of that team, four and two, six and four. Now, you know, that's where you need to be. You need to look there and say, why can't you do that? They've got some issues there in terms of recruiting limitations and budget limitations that yep. you're in a little bit better position. So look there at Virginia. That's the school that I would say, you know what? They're doing a better job. They're doing a better job at BC in an early tenure with Jeff Halfley. They're only two and four in the league. Look at those places and say, they've got some restrictions. They've got some limitations. Yes, you had to build a program from a completely different dynamic philosophically, yep. but those places have done better jobs than you have as the head coach. You need to look that, and while you can sell yourself for another year, and I completely understand his fight to keep it, I would like to see them keep him yes. another year. But Chris, Chris Landry, appreciate him joining us every single Wednesday, bottom of hour one, wraps up hour one, be back hour two next. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.